as proud as I am for what I was able to do on the field, I'm equally as proud for what Linda and I and our foundation has done off the field. There's 198 kids out there on scholarships that have gone through four-year institutions, and that's because people got behind our vision, and, and that's, that's incredibly humbling, and, and uh, some of those will be in Canton with us to celebrate. Welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast, where we highlight and inspire a community of givers with your host, the founder of the Good Tidings Foundation, Larry Harper. My guest this month on the Good Tidings Podcast is the GM for the San Francisco 49ers, John Lynch. So John, welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast. Well, thanks so much, Larry. I uh, look forward to it. And it's it's nice to talk about positive things. I think <laughs> there's so much good in the world that goes unnoticed because it seems like we always want to focus on negative things. So this is uh, this is refreshing, to say the least. Yeah, and I, I feel the same way. And it's great to, to be in person here. We're actually in the Bill Walsh conference room here at, at Levi Stadium. So it's good to be able to, to gather in person finally. Yeah. It's a special place. It really is. It's. Uh, I had the opportunity to play for you know arguably the greatest head coach to ever do it at uh, my senior year at Stanford, and so it's in large part you know I think what drew me to come to the Niners years later is because there was I I, I knew Bill and what he stood for and the standard of excellence here, and it's pretty cool to be in this room. I <laughs> we're looking at a picture. I, you know, you're in this office all the time, but I'm always walking the halls and looking one way, and I'm looking at a picture of uh, of Bill, Mr. D, and Jed when Jed's probably seven, eight years old. Yeah, it's pretty pretty neat being in here. It's kind of interesting, full circle for you to mm-hmm. play under Bill Walsh and then be here trying to carry on the legacy. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and it's a it's a big legacy. But that, again, you know, I talk about why I made this jump to doing this because I I had a pretty good life of, you know, working for Fox NFL on Fox, and uh, you know, I got my football fix because I do love the game. But I also had it also afforded me tremendous opportunity of time with my family, you know, and going doing broadcasts on the weekend. There's a lot of prep with that, but I could do it when they were at school and something was, was drawing me to do something where I was more invested in a, in a team. I've always loved that, but I, I will say that, you know, the connections I had with the Niners, when I came in, you were talking with Kena Turner. Kena was a, was a coach on that Stanford staff at uh, with Bill, as was uh, Tom Homo and Billy Ring, a lot of old Niners, so Unreal. a lot of connections there. Yeah, very cool. So you will not remember this, but we actually first met back in April of 1992 in front of the track house on the campus of Stanford University after one of your baseball practices. Huh. So at the time, I was the scouting supervisor for your hometown San Diego Padres, and although you were a full-time football player and likely were going to go that direction, you were quite a baseball player and prospect also. So, actually, I have in my hand your free agent scouting report <laughs> for one oh, wow. John Terrence Lynch of Solano Beach, California. Unbelievable. So we'll go through this a little bit. The baseball <laughs> stuff, I think I got okay. When we get to the football, I was probably off. But yeah. uh, you were actually a really good pitcher. You had an above-average fastball. I don't think you were used that much. You yeah. were still kind of feeling it out. But 
you could throw it up there 94 miles an hour, which even in today's game is, is really good. You had a really good slider, I remember. And obviously on the grades, grades two to eight, you were graded six or seven on all the good stuff, aggressiveness, drive, mental toughness, pressure player. You might have to drop this on your kids later today. <laughs> Strong, loose, muscular body, above average arm speed. Slider has great downward away break. And then I go on to say, still tied up from football, at times pitches like he plays football. <laughs> Not sure what that means, but... Uh, yeah. Can also play outfield, strong starting safety for the football team. And here's the best part, fringe NFL prospect. Yeah, yeah. That, hence, I was a better baseball scout than football yeah, scout. I think at the time that was accurate. And there's something interesting. You know, my dad played in the NFL. And uh, I think there was always some part of me, I've been reflecting a lot as the Hall of Fame's coming, you know, on, on things. And usually athletes are always looking ahead. And so I've been reflecting a lot and like, why did I pick football? And I think a large part, part of every little boy that wants to be like their dad. And my dad was my hero. And, you know, he played, he was a 13th round pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers, had a brief career because of injury. And back then he had to go make a living, you know, and yeah. they didn't make big money. And, and so... But in my mind, he was mean Joe Green. He was drafted the same year. And so there was just everybody told me when I was young, you're you're a more gifted baseball player. Go do that because baseball is a little more quantifiable. Can you, can you throw a ball hard? I could. Uh, I think because I was a quarterback and I kind of had that – to quarterback, you kind of pronate mm -hmm. your arm in a different way. And so it had natural sync. So my ball moved a lot. It was hard to control, but, it, but yeah. that's something big league scouts loved. But baseball just always came more natural, but my heart was always with football. So, um, And I, I loved baseball, but my, my passion was baseball – or football, excuse me. So growing up, it was football. And did you play other sports besides football and baseball yeah. as, as a youngster? I did, you know, kind of like a lot of kids did. Then I did everything. Yeah. I played soccer. I played basketball. My parents just had a philosophy – best way to keep kids out of trouble was just keep them so busy they couldn't possibly get in trouble. So <laughs> I surfed. I We grew up in the coast down in San Diego and Solana Beach. And so we did everything. And we went from one sport to the other. It was a great way to grow up because everything was always fresh and fun. And I'm a huge believer that playing multi-sports, they they just complement the other ones and, and uh, I think help you become a more well-rounded athlete. And I wish more kids would do that Number one for the enjoyment. Number two, I think it, I think it benefits the. Uh, you see, in baseball, my son grew up in an era where kids are very specialized, and I think you lose some of the athleticism in baseball. You get very skilled players because they do it year round, but maybe you don't see kids who can run like you used to because there's just they don't. That's all they do is baseball. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I've always said, even back then when I was scouting in the '80s and '90s, before the travel ball and all this came about. You know, I always told parents that there's reasons there's seasons. Yes. And when this baseball season ends, go do something else. Yeah. And I just think, you know, kids grow better. Your body matures better. Because I just don't see the growth in baseball. The game is different now. And I yeah. think, for me, the aluminum bat and travel ball year-round play has changed changed the game so much. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself because I played when there was the wood bat, but... You know, I think these things have changed, and I wish yeah. kids would just stick to the seasons. No, I'm with you. Yeah. Having said that, I, I will say, you know, my passion for football and all that, and I, I think probably with my son and my girls, I always coached them in baseball, and I had more fun doing that. Than, yeah. And, uh, you know, in Denver, 
the weather kind of took care of the seasons. You couldn't play baseball year round. So we kind of were limited by that, but we had a fun travel team yeah. and we didn't travel many places. I once had a dad, he was from Boston, kind of a crusty guy. And he goes, you know what? My dad had a philosophy and I adhere to it. You must have beaten everybody in town if you have to travel. <laughs> so that's, right. that's a good point. It, it, if you beat everyone in town, my son can travel with you. And his son was our best player. So I, I like, like it. All right. I like your philosophy. I like it. Yeah. So I was a little off on your NFL projection. So as most everyone knows now, congrats on going into the Hall of Fame later this year. My daughter, Bridget, who works in your department, I know had her hand in helping plan that surprise announcement when David Baker showed up at your front door, knocked on on your door, and, and I've seen the YouTube video, and you're surprised. What's up? Oh my gosh. Hey, I think that's a knock you've been waiting for. Are you serious, David? <laughs> I'm not allowed to hug you, but I'll hug you later, okay? Uh, I've always said it. It's not that big of a thing. <laughs> get, get Linda and your family out here, would you? It means the world you're here. Thanks to all of you guys for always being there for me, and. I thought I always had great perspective that, you know what, I, 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 uh, I gave it all I had on the field, and whether I made it or not, it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter. It's not going to change my life, but my gosh, this feels life-changing right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's unbelievable. How was that day for you? Oh, it was incredible. I had been waiting for a while. I had been a finalist eight times, and... You know, it's a different process because I think everything you're used to in life, you go compete and you have a say. At this point, you know, the my my resume was the 15 years I played, and that was a long time ago. But yet you're having people vote on your career, and every time you're humbled that you're being – but it almost became torturous. And it's not something you think about year-round, but once that process starts and you're humbled enough to make the semifinalist, which is 25 every year – and you see the other names and you're like, my goodness, they're all great players. And then you take it to the finalist and there's 15 players. And then from 15 comes the class. And so for, you know, I think seven times, Linda and I had gone down, they invite you down to the Super Bowls. We were always incredibly honored, but you'd go sit in a hotel room. And if you got a knock, it was good news. If you got a phone call, it was bad. Well, seven times I got that phone call. <laughs> goodness. But like you can't ever be mad because you're like what it, what an honor just to be in that in that room to where you're being voted on and then this year I've always been a big believer with my faith that the good Lord things happen when they're supposed to happen and I think when it happened that day that Bridget had a hand in setting up because it was a complete surprise it was at our home in San Diego yeah. my parents could be there my kids could be there Linda of course who'd been there from the start could be there people I worked with and my closest friends could be there. Yeah. And it was like, you know what? This happened right at the perfect time. Yeah. And uh, it was a pretty special day. Yeah, makes sense. So now on to kind of the essence of this podcast that really highlights all the goodness people are doing in the community. 21 years ago, you launched the John Lynch Foundation. And that certainly was well before it was considered the norm for athletes to be more socially conscious and start their foundation. What was your motivation to start it that yeah. long ago? Well, I would say, first of all, I think everybody, all of us are product of our experiences. And, you know, my parents always modeled at home. They were very involved with our community, whether it be the Boys and Girls Club, the Catholic schools that we'd go to. My dad helped. I went to a public high school. We didn't have a stadium. We used to drive up to uh, our rival high school, and that, that was our home game. 
And my dad and a bunch of the parents said, we got to put a stop to this. And so he went and they started a capital campaign to build a stadium at our high school. And so he was just a doer. And he he used to tell us, and my mom used to tell us the same thing. It's not just a nice thing to do. It's responsibility. And the other thing, you know, they talked about, it's, you know, it's scripture is to, to, to whom much is given, much is required. And, and, you know, I married a gal and Linda whose parents like did so just as much. And so it was kind of, we were both raised, you know, with great examples of people who gave back and gave back in big ways. And then you get to the league and realize the awesome opportunity, right, wrong, or indifferent. When you're playing a professional sport, there's people who want to get behind, particularly if you if you spell out a great vision. This is what we want to do, and this is why we want to do it. People will help you. And, you know, I saw tremendous examples of older players like Hardy Nickerson was a guy extremely active in the community, he had a, a foundation that was really vibrant and did so much good. I also had a coach in Tony Dungy who came my, my uh, let's see, it was my third year in the league. And Tony, I'll never forget in his, in his very first speech to our team, you know, he talked about what he was hired to do and that was win championships in Tampa, but I'll never forget the way he ended it. And it was, Hey fellas, if that's all we've done talking about winning a championship at the end of our time together, we won't have done enough. And he went on to talk about the responsibility we had to make in our communities, better places. And you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that Tony's had like five Walter Payton Man of the Year work done and Peyton Manning and some of the people who've done more for their communities than, you know, and so it kind of was always ingrained in me. And then Linda and I always had a spirit. We just liked helping people. We were both student athletes that saw that not only did we love doing it, but a lot of the lessons that we learned in life that we parent by, that we live by, were lessons we learned on the fields. And so we said, you know, kind of like what you're doing, there's so much focus on what's wrong with our world. There's a lot of kids out there that are doing great things and making their communities better. And so we came up with uh, programs that, that recognized and rewarded kids who excelled in the classroom, in their sport, and in their community. And again, back to the hall, because I've had a chance to reflect as proud as I am for what I was able to do on the field. I'm equally as proud for what Linda and I and our foundation has done off the field. There's 198 kids out there on scholarships that have gone through four-year institutions. And that's because people got behind our vision. And, and that's that's incredibly humbling. And, and uh, some of those will be in Canton with us to celebrate. So that's very pretty cool. awesome. Yeah. So I just want to dive in a, a couple of the pillars that you do focus on. One being leadership. Obviously, being an athlete, and you mentioned Bill Walsh, you've been influenced by great leaders. So you've seen the value of encouraging, teaching, and rewarding leadership, obviously. Mm -hmm. No doubt. And uh, like I, you know, I, I illustrated it, had it modeled for for me, you know, had great examples. Bill Walsh, uh, Tony Dungy, John Gruden. I mean, I played Mike Shanahan, played for some tremendous leaders. My parents always preached leadership and everyone's got a different definition of what it is. I think the one I've arrived at and you know, in Tampa, Tampa was a big military town and, and General Tommy Franks, who who was the, in charge of U.S. CENTCOM. And, um, you know, they did everything going on in charge of everything in the Middle East. And he became a good friend. He was my neighbor. And we ended up really taking a liking to each other. And we talked leadership a lot. One day he said, you know, my definition of leadership is real simple. Do you make people around you better? And to me, leaders are people who make everyone around them better. 
their community, their school, their team, their, you know, and I think it's tremendous definition because there's so many characteristics of leadership, but ultimately what is a leader? A leader is someone who makes people around them better. And I, I've lived by that after, you know, and I think that's what our kids that we've tried to recognize. That's what they do. They make their schools better. They lift their peers. They oftentimes can do incredible things, lifting the communities and making people realize the possibility if they just put their head and, and their mind to and their heart to something. So I've always lived by that that definition since yeah. to- Tommy Franks kind of verbalized it for me. That makes sense. And I know another part of the found, your foundation is the encouragement of dreaming, which I love, because, you know, although it's not quantifiable, everybody loves analytics these days and all yeah. that, but I love... For me, dreaming is like visualization, and you—if you can think it, dream it, maybe it can happen. You yes. know, and, and I like that you spend some time with the foundation on that. Also. Yeah, I think it's so important. Yeah, I talk about my parents a lot, but this, you know, I even go to my grandparents. My uh, my grandma used to always tell me, my dad's mom, you know, if you don't believe in yourself, who will? You know, and and there was just a lot of modeling of that. You got to believe in yourself. You got to believe you can do great things, and. And I'm very thankful. I thank my parents often for, you know, some people I think are careful. Like, I don't want to encourage my kids to dream because the disappointment might be too big if they don't reach their dreams. My parents believe completely to the contrary. Dream for, you know, it's great to dream big. And you know what? If you don't quite reach your goal, you're going to be a lot better off for having tried and put forth the effort. And their only rule was whatever we did, we did 110% and we put everything we had into it. But I was always encouraged to dream. And I think it's so important. Lou Holtz used to have a saying, you know, what the what the mind can conceive, the body can achieve. And I think that's so true. And sometimes it takes other people believing for you, you know. Believe me, I'm I'm very cognizant of that. And I'll talk about it in my Hall of Fame speech. Sometimes people who believed in me and had a bigger dream for me before I did. And, you know, that's important as well, having people who believe in you. But ultimately, you better believe in yourself if yeah. you want to do special things. Yeah, for sure. And I, I do like, I noticed, you know, your foundation has impact in all the cities of your football life. So in Tampa and Denver and now here in the Bay Area. And you haven't forgotten about Denver or Tampa. So obviously a conscious decision to stay fo- yeah, focused and there. When we were always out raising money, our message to the folks was, look, it's to pay for these scholarships, but it's also to endow them such that they, when when we're gone, because we will be gone someday, that they can live on in perpetuity and these things don't go away. And so you have to honor that. And uh, we were able, fortunate to raise enough money. When we did that, we made a commitment. And so we live by that commitment. And, you know, we still give out the scholarships every year in Tampa, in Denver, and now in the Bay Area. And we're, we're, that's, gosh, it's such a blessing for us, you know, and we look forward to each and every year. Yeah, that's smart. I, I, I think a lot of times people in the community work, they think about the moment and the social media hit of the, this time or this award or this dedication. But the, the fact that you endowed it, and didn't forget about what really needs to happen. That's very smart forward thinking. Cause I think a lot of people would say, oh, I gave you the scholarship. Good luck. You're a freshman and sophomore, junior, senior. I don't know what's going to happen. So yeah. And, and, uh, I won't take all the credit for that. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people I've found the best way to, uh, 
to raise money. You can do events and all that. It, it's important to market things and, you know, you have a golf tournament. Those aren't the best way to raise money. The best way is identify people who have been blessed with, you know, and then go tell them, here's what we're trying to do. Here's how you could help us. And if you just do that, <laughs> but a lot of those people who've made a lot of money, they've done so for a reason and they, they want to know, okay, what are you trying to do? Why are yeah. you? And so I had to ask myself, because sometimes I was just going, hey, we're trying to just give scholarships. Well, what's your ultimate goal? Well, we'd like to, you know, and after a lot of uh, thought and talk with Linda, like, what are we at really trying to do? We want these to live on forever. And so that's when the idea of endowing those. And so, you know, thankful to a lot of the people on our board. And it's like, okay, exactly what are you trying to do here? Yes, yeah. you're trying to raise money, but for what? Obviously for kids, but what's your end goal? And so that's how we kind of arrived at. But I'm, I'm sure glad we did because it's kept us connected with those areas and it's kept the opportunity going for those kids. Yeah, yeah that's great. And I notice, you know, it wouldn't be a shock that you also recognize athletes and encourage athletic involvement. Why is it you think athletes, especially when they're done playing, make such good workers, leaders, achievers, and, and you must see the importance of it past just the immediate athletic moment for them. Yeah, and it's it's not just like, hey, we're, we're only going to recognize, reward the best athletes. No, we just believe that being a student athlete, more tangibly and better, you can hear a lesson from a teacher, from a parent. Hey, if you do this, this will happen. But if you've lived it on a on a sports, I, I mean, the position I play, you know, it's the whole world knows when you when you make a great play. The whole world knows when you screw up, and how are you going to respond after that happens? Yeah, it probably tells you a lot more about a person than the than the idea of how are you going to respond after success. And so, I just think you can so tangibly. So I think it's great for everyone, and you know that's why we decided to do that and. You know, I think it's it's provided incredible encouragement in the in the areas we live, you know, in Tampa, Denver, and now here, these programs become a to be a John Lynch Star of the Month became a cool thing, and that was so so cool to see this kind of momentum happen where kids are like, well, how do I become a part of that? Well, you you know, you you go compete in a sport, you do well in school, you give back to your community, and uh, then you have someone nominate you. And, and so really a cool thing and something we're incredibly proud of. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, very unique. I, lo I love that. You know, looking forward now with the foundation, do you, what do you see some of the unfinished work or some of the things you think you're going to try to tackle in the next five or 10 years? Yeah. I, I think it's you know, we all have recognized the effects of, of uh, quarantine world and all that, and particularly on young kids. Uh, you know, young kids can't be cooped up. They got to be out and they got to be playing and they got to be being able to be active and, and challenge themselves, challenge their mind. And it's such a period of growth that when you, and so I think it's more important than ever, you know, and we need leadership too. We got a lot of a lot of divisiveness in our country right now, and you're on this side or this side. Well, I've always also believed that sports better than anything bring people together. It's a vehicle to bring people together. I think it's part of why I've always loved sport and team sport. Uh, there's nothing like looking out at a stadium when, uh, you know, Debo Samuel scores a touchdown and people hugging and, you know, and, and I grew up a Charger fan and, you know, I still remember the people we sat with and we didn't know each other that well, but on Sundays we were all hugging and high-fiving when yeah. Dan Fouts threw a touchdown. So I just think that's something beautiful about sports and our world really needs it right now coming off what we've come off of and, yeah. and um, still are kind of going through. Yeah. And I, you know, talking about the NFL, it's really the most unique sport in that they're, 
season schedule with most teams having a Tuesday off mm-hmm. and all the teams so focused on getting the players out in the community every Tuesday. It's such a unique thing the NFL has the opportunity to do with only one week, one game per week. Yeah, and it's it's really a great tradition. You know, I think back to when I used to watch Monday Night Football, they used to have those commercials for the United Way, you know, and, right. and uh, but you find out there is so much good and I don't want to be just biased to our sport. Guys in, the, in Major League Baseball, in all walks of life are doing great things in the community, but the NFL really has a proud and great tradition. The teams are very conscious of it. I think for the right reasons, uh, they understand their responsibility, their place in a community. They invest a lot in giving back to their communities. These uh, community relations department are so active and the, and the players love it. They really do. They love getting out amongst uh, uh, and, you know, we, we made it work there in COVID last year. You know, we were doing things virtually with, uh, you know, programs in Oakland. And it really is a, a great thing. And I think for if you're a young player, you come in before you jo- I tell all the, our young players when they come and say, hey, how do I get involved in the community? Just go out on Tuesdays. Don't do a foundation your first year, you know, unless you really have a, some guys come in and they know exactly where they want to focus their attention. I tell other people, use our CR department and go, they'll go a different place every Tuesday and yep. see what speaks to you, speaks to your heart, where you want to make a difference. And, and this, uh, our league does a great job of providing a vehicle to do that. Yeah, I think that's good advice. I think people, you, yeah, just just take your time, yeah, find your spot. And I know you and the 49ers also were at the forefront of having women on the coaching and scouting staff. In fact, having the first woman to ever coach in a Super Bowl. So does having daughters now make you feel like, boy, look at the opportunities we can provide women in sport. They can pretty much do anything. Yeah, it does. And it's it's a great message, a great reality for girls around the world. And yes, having three daughters, uh, certainly, because there's nothing more powerful when they say, hey, dad, that's pretty cool. Could I coach someday? You know, like, of course, look at, there's people doing it. And so... I really commend Katie Sauer, Sally Clavel, who's working in our in our scouting department, uh, Bridget, and the other women that are, you know, for years, this has happened kind of behind the scenes, but it was just certain roles. No one, this is a very, it's a very traditional business where, well, why don't you do that? Well, because we never have. And, and uh, fortunately, some people broke through that and, and we were proud to be at the forefront of that, you know, putting ladies in roles that they would typically weren't. And that's all it takes because, and the reality for, you know, do you want to do it to provide opportunities for young ladies, of course, but you also, in my mind, I I think what you see is why cut off half the workforce, you know, like (laughs) there's great candidates out there. And if you're only looking at the men, you're, 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 you're missing an opportunity. And so I think it's something that's here to stay. And that's a great thing for everybody involved. Yeah, for sure. And I know the I, one of the last things on on just looking at your uh, website for your foundation and the Lynch's Christmas party, you know, our charity, the Good Tidings Foundation, we started as a holiday toy charity. Also, I know the value of just the simplest thing of just yeah. giving somebody a smile during the holidays. Yeah. You know, of all the things we do, and I'm so proud of the scholarships, I, th- I think that's probably my favorite event each year. I started it 
20, gosh, I don't know how many years ago now, but it was with Hardy Nickerson. Hardy's a guy who was uh, raised down in LA, but went to Cal and lives over in the East Bay now. And Hardy was very a lover of the Boys and Girls Club. I was, I went to a Boys and Girls Club, you know, weekly and grew up in one and, and Hardy did as well. Me in San Diego, him in LA, but we were teammates in, in Tampa. And, and one time around Christmas, he said, hey, I know you love the Boys and Girls Club. I'm thinking about making some of these kids, uh, less fortunate kids at the Boys and Girls Club Christmas wish come through. Would you like to do it with me? And I said, of course. And Hardy was like a role model for me. And I, I was so flattered he'd ask. And that deal lasted and still goes on today. And it, it's something we're really proud of. But we bring these kids out. The clubs help identify who they are. You know, we tell them, hey, pick a family, pick a kid that needs a little pick me up. And we bring them out. And we make their wish list come through. And in turn, we ask them to do something nice for someone else. But it's really a great deal. And it's always great. It happens on a Saturday. So I can bring them out here, do our walkthrough on Saturday. And they get autographs from our guys. It's really a fun and special. Uh, we missed it in COVID. So yeah. we did it virtually. But um, uh, looking forward to bringing that back this year. Yeah. I like what you just said about do, uh, also, we'll give you your wish, but do something nice for someone else. Yeah. We actually host a winter wonderland. We bring in about a thousand kids each year and they, they have so many good tidings dollars to spend on and they could buy whatever they want and get a bike, skateboard, Lego. And I would say about 60%, you'll see the kid leave. And this was for my sister. This was for my cousin. And it's interesting how kids when given the chance, they, they almost are unselfish, even though they have all the need in the world. So I love the fact that whether they thought it or not, you encouraged them. Okay, you got this thing. You got to come out here to Levi's, but go do something good. I, yeah, love, I the, like that. I mean, the, uh, the innocence of youth, the goodness in youth, I mean, their instinct is usually to give. And yeah. that's I, we see that all the time. I mean, oftentimes these kids, and you'll ask them, what are you going to do with that? I'm going to bring that home for my sister. You know, same thing yeah. you're saying. and. That's always so uh, rewarding. Yeah. So we're, we're uh, taping this interview here at Levi's in August. It'll air in September right at the start of the football season. Are you excited for the upcoming season? I really am. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited about our team. Uh, last year was a tough year for the entire league and, and a lot of, you know, for everyone. With the challenges of COVID, our team was incredibly injured last year. Thought we were a really good roster. That never was realized. And and ultimately, it's a bottom line business. And so no one cares about what happened. So, But we have a lot of pride and, and we've worked our tail off to keep that roster together and to improve it. I think we've done that. So what that does, it gives you a chance. And we're filming this in August, but you know we just signed Fred Warner yesterday, and so that makes you proud when you draft a kid in the third round. And I've always believed, I know in fact that players in that locker room they're watching who you pay, and they're saying why why are guys. And when you got a guy like Fred who does everything right, who gives back to the community, does it right on the field, takes care of his body, does things right, and we pay him, that, that speaks volumes in yeah. that locker room. And excited about so our rookie class is going to be tremendous and and our guys are motivated and uh this division is so tough the nfc west just keeps getting better seattle's always good arizona's a really improving team and the rams um the rams are a formidable unit every every year they got matt stafford now at quarterback so whoever comes out of the nfc west is going to be incredibly battle tested yeah you know i just was you know as we parked in the parking lot and walked through the the training area today it is amazing. As a baseball guy, you don't really realize because you play a game today, 
no matter how it goes, you play a game tomorrow. Yeah. And all the work that goes into playing one game all the whole week, it's really, it's just so unique yeah. as a sport, you know? And I, I've watched it really come full circle. I think when I was with the Bucks, the Bucks probably employed like 30 people, you know? I think <laughs> now we're... We're, we're employing upwards of 450 people, you know, and, oh, and as, you know, as a player, you kind of know it, but you don't know how many people and they're so everyone's job is to, to, to pare everything down, find out what's most important to present to players. It's to make their life easy so that they can go be the best that they can be. And that's what everyone's doing, but the, it's incredible what's happened, how big this league has gotten. But it still comes down to the same things: who's who's going to do the little things well, who's going to have some good fortune of staying healthy, who's got the best players. Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. But this is a it's a great organization. We have tremendous ownership, and there was a lot of alignment from the standard of excellence on the field to their belief that you give off the field. And so when I started talking to Jed and the York family, just made a lot of sense to come up here. Yeah. Well, I wanted to thank you for your time today and so much to be, to congratulate you for, you know, yeah. you're going in the hall of fame. Thank now God. I, now I've got this. <laughs> this. I'm looking at this scatter. It's unbelievable. Yeah, thank That was you. a strange time because I kind of, like I said, I, I was skilled, but I played some outfield. I pitched, I think, through 20 innings in closing. Yeah. But I mean, the week before the draft where, where I signed with the Marlins, I had people working me out as catcher because I kind of had a shorter, yeah. tighter release. And some lot, some teams thought I should be a catcher. Yeah. So it was fun. Gary Hughes, you know, who yeah. just passed just here recently. Great. One of the greats. Who, he loved two sport athletes, yeah. so I guess it did. It, it made sense when they drafted me uh, with the Marlins. But uh, you know, Matt King, his son-in-law. And, well, Matt yeah. is on our board. Is actually, that right? Of the Good Tidings Foundation. So yeah. yeah. So Matt, I gave him a hard time. I said, Matt, you you gave uh, you gave John a nice little paycheck. You know, us smarter <laughs> scouts, we knew he was going to football. <laughs> <laughs> I, I broke their heart, but at, I, at the time, I you know because my football career didn't take off till my senior year, really. I switched. I was a quarterback, switched my junior year. So thank God for Bill Walsh because he encouraged me to come back for my senior year after I signed him with the Marlins. And that's when my football career really took off. But really, I was a guy who was going to give baseball a go because yep. football really hadn't happened. And then my senior year, it really, really went well. So Fun trivia yeah. question. You threw the very first pitch in Marlins baseball history in the minor leagues. It's true. How about that? It's true. It was Erie, Pennsylvania at the <laughs> elementary school. So, oh, yeah. The right field wall was a gymnasium that was probably like 2.30. And it was to be a hard-throwing right-hander. You know, you'd like jam someone and there'd be a home run to right. And you'd be like, man, this is unbelievable. Time for so, football. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, John, for today. Yeah. And congrats on everything. That uh, was a lot of fun. And, thank and, you. I and enjoyed all the it. work you're doing. Thanks for the great work you're doing. You have just enjoyed an episode of the Good Tidings Podcast, highlighting the goodness in people. To learn more about and to support the Good Tidings Foundation, log on to goodtidings.org. This monthly program is brought to you by the generosity of responseresponsibility.org. Don't miss out on the Good Tidings podcast by reviewing and subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.